And the rest of us can go ahead and turn to page 9 of the bulletin, or if you brought a copy of God's Word, you can turn back to the book of Psalms. And we are looking this morning at the fourth psalm. This is our fourth week in Psalms and Palms, a summer series. The tough crowd that went over like a lead balloon, I see. But this is our summer series, okay, our fourth psalm. I did promise I will not preach all 150 psalms, but so far we're four for four. So I don't know, I don't know. I at least have three years, God willing, of sermon material here. So, no, we, we, we will see. But we are continuing our unplanned but summer series through the book of Psalms, seeing where the Lord takes us. And again, this morning we find ourselves in the fourth Psalm. So again, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there or you can look in the bulletin. And I'll read it for us. But hear this. This is the Psalm of David. He writes, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself the Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. But you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it remains forever. Amen. Notice again here in verse 1, as we continue again to look at these psalms together, this ancient hymn book of Israel. This ancient prayer journal of, of saints who have gone before. In verse 1, notice there is this confidence on the part of David that God, the God of the universe, the God of all that is, there is this confidence on the part of David that the God of everything hears him. Hears him. And that's fascinating for us. Because in today's world, we have more and more voice-activated devices, do we not? More and more things we talk to, perhaps, than even people <laughs> or friends. <clears throat> more and more voice-activated devices. You have Siri on your phone. Maybe she even heard me right now. Maybe she's, maybe she's lighting up on your phone when I said Siri, right? You have Siri on your iPhone, you have Hey Google on your Android device, you have Alexa by Amazon, voice commands on your TV remote. One of my all-time favorite apps, if you have a smartphone, is an app called Shazam, which many of you might have. It's an amazing piece of technology, at least for me, very amusing. 
you can press Shazam and hold it up to the radio or wherever you are where music is playing and it will recognize the song and tell you the song and who sings it and the album. And it's incredible. It's incredible. So Alexa or Siri or Hey Google or Shazam, but how many times have you said something into those devices only to be misheard? Has that happened to you? You'll say one thing and it comes out another. You do text to speech, or speech to text, right? And you texted somebody something you never meant to say, right? Maybe it even involve profanity by accident or something, you know? How'd that happen? Oh, that was Siri. Oh, she misheard me. Oh, sure, 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 right? But again, how many times have you spoken into it and you've been misheard? I didn't get that. Can you repeat that? Or heaven forbid, again, you say something that was misinterpreted. I was literally sitting on the couch a couple weeks ago with my children. And I said into my TV remote, show me the weather. And all of a sudden, this like TV show or movie popped up called Sexy Weather. Okay? That's not a joke. What? I was... Of course, I'm like, you know, doing anything I can to change the channel as fast as I can. And what? It's not what I said. I, I promise. It's not, it's not what I said. Okay, right? But how many times can you say something again and you are misheard? Well, here in verse 1, David is confident, confident that when he cries out to God, when he speaks to God, when he pleads even and prays to God, when he complains to God, as we see here and we'll see in other Psalms, he's heard. He's not misheard, but he's heard exactly where he's at. He's heard intimately. And the reason, if you notice, is because he is the God of his righteousness. He's the God of your righteousness, too. You see, David understands on his own he is unrighteous. David is no fool. Again, David is keenly aware of his sin, David knows the law. David knows the sacrificial system. He knows that he, as a man on his own, cannot approach the holy God. But he also knows, again, in and through these ways of God, in and through these revelations of God, that the same God has made a way. This same God has provided atonement. He has, indeed, gifted the righteousness of required to stand before him. And again, this would have been foreshadowed for David in places like the law, foreshadowed for David and those with him in places like the sacrificial system, but made plain and put forth in high definition through the son of David who was to come, namely Jesus Christ at the cross. You see, it's the son of David who gives us the ultimate relief in our distress, as verse 1 continues. It's through the work of the gospel that we are relieved of judgment. We are relieved of the distress of what our sins deserve. We are given answer to the call, to the cry, to the plea even for our salvation. And again, if God has done this in the gospel... If he has come down and loved us and given us mercy on that level, then he will certainly hear his redeemed children when they cry out to him. Isn't that so? If God spared no expense 
but loved us in that way, provided us the righteousness that we required to stand before him and did so in and through the person of his own son, Christ Jesus. If he has adopted us into his family and made us his heirs, as we're told over and over again in the New Testament, then will he not hear us when we cry out to him? In fact, you could argue it's precisely because of that. It's only because of that that we can be heard. It's only because God has already done the work for us, already paved the path, already sacrificed himself for us that we can now be heard. In fact, our encouragement comes in knowing that the same God who chose us, who predestined us, who adopted us, who loved us, and who saved us, and again, who, went to no, who spared no expense to do such things, he will certainly now hear us when we call out to him, no matter the place, no matter the trial. Christ himself says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You see, when God, when we ask, God hears us correctly. When we pray, God hears us, again, because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And he meets our pleas for mercy. Paul writes in Romans, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see there, Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser, if you will. I don't know about you, but sometimes in our house, if it's Christmas time, you wait and you, you save the biggest or best or most expensive or most grandiose present for last, right? There's this buildup. Open up the envelope first, the small present, and then open up the big present. Lesser to the greater, if you will. But here, in a sense, it's almost the opposite. Paul says, if God gave you the gift of his son, if he did not spare him but gave him up for you willingly, if he did that, then will he not, along with him, give you every lesser thing that you need in your life? Maybe not as you define it. Maybe not in your timing. But he will. He will meet our needs because he's met the greatest need again at the cross of our Savior, Christ Jesus. But as we move ahead into verses 2 and 3, here again David, he says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. These verses help shed a bit more light on perhaps the, the context or the circumstance from which David is crying out from. If you remember last week looking at Psalm 3, David wrote and he prayed out of his context of flight from his own palace. He was fleeing from his son Absalom who had concocted this conspiracy and for who a moment had usurped his throne. This son of his who had stolen the hearts of the people and led a coup. Well, it's likely that this psalm bears some connection 
to that episode when those close to David, again, those in positions within his own palace, seek to do him harm. When those around him seek popularity instead of what's right. When they seek popularity instead of integrity or truth. When they seek the approval of men over the approval of God, David cries out and he asks this question, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? Again, how long will people around me love vain words and how long will people seek after lies? Again, perhaps this is a direct question to some of those around him. How long will you seek after these things? Again, as David finds himself in the crosshairs, even though he is the Lord's chosen, even though he is the man after God's own heart, he cries out and says, how long? How long must I put up with this? How long? Well, again, for us in our lives, we cannot relate to being king, though some of us might like to think so, right? We can wear a Burger King crown and feel like a king, right? I told you the story one time that when I was a kid, I cut my own hair, okay? I'm sure your kid did that one time, right? I was like, I don't know, five, and I got out scissors and cut my own hair and gave myself a really sweet, like, bowl haircut with, you know, I didn't have a forehead, I had a five head, right? Where it's like, no hair, you know. And I woke up and I was embarrassed and I knew I did something wrong and I had been to Burger King the day before. I still had the crown in my room, no joke. So I wore the crown on my head like all morning. My parents were like, what's happening here? And they figured it out eventually, okay. Well again, we can put a crown on our head and we can feel like a king. But, but realistically, none of us can relate here to David. To David being a king. But we as Christians can relate to the same bewilderment. Again, we cannot relate to being rejected by those around us as king and being expelled from a palace, but we can, as followers of God, just like David, we can relate to this feeling of bewilderment and we can relate to having our name sullied having our honor called into question. We can relate to being mocked and rejected and outcasted because of the name and cause of Christ, because of the name and the cause of truth and standing up for what's right. And in those moments, what do we do? What do we do? Well, we cry out undoubtedly like David and we ask how long? But we also have to consider verse 3. That is our source of consolation. He said, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when I call. You see, our consolation is even when we are rejected and outcasted. Name is sullied, reputation is sullied, honor called into question because of Christ. The Lord hears us when we call, we know that. He hears our plea he hears our cry but in hearing us he then reminds us that he has set us apart from self he has claimed us as his own he has made us his own possession David says it right there the Lord has set apart the godly for himself you know what that should remind you of it should remind you of what the New Testament calls sanctification sanctification in fact you hear that term a lot in the New Testament to be sanctified is exactly that, to be set apart. 
New Testament tells us that those whom God justifies, he also sanctifies. He sets us apart, and he sets us apart particularly for holy use, for holy purpose. But often, as you know, to be sanctified and to be set apart is this refining process. It's this refining process where we are conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Where we are, again, made more and more like him. Old desires stripped away. Old inclinations stripped away. New desires, new appetites cultivated, again, because of the gospel. Affections more and more aligned with God. But that process, again, of sanctification, that process of being set apart for holy use by God is, again, often this somewhat painful, somewhat difficult process where the the, the rough edges are smoothed out. And again, think about gold going through the fire and we are refined. And so, again, it's the same thing here for David. It's the same thing here as a follower of God. We might be rejected But in that rejection, we're not alone, for God is with us, and he hears us. And he even uses those moments of rejection, and he even uses, again, those moments of outcasting and trial and adversity to accomplish his purposes within us, and to accomplish his purposes in the world. And so, again, we can cry out, and we should, how long, O Lord? How long? But again, we take heart We take refuge in knowing that God has set us apart for himself and for his purpose and for his glory. But we experience other emotions as well. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Perhaps you're unfamiliar with Psalm 4. But I'd be willing to bet, if you've been in church any amount of time, you at least know that verse. Be angry and do not sin. Is that possible? Is that possible? To be angry but to not sin? Is that oxymoronic? Kind of like how you drive on a parkway, but you park on a driveway? Have you ever thought about that? You drive on a parkway, but you park on a driveway. Or Jim Gaffigan. I know I've said this many times, sorry. Us pastors only have so many jokes, okay? Jim Gaffigan talks about happy campers. Happy campers is an oxymoron. The only only people happy are the people leaving the campsite. Those are the happy campers, right? They get to go back to their house, to the air conditioning, to their showers, and there's no such thing as a happy camper. Everybody's a little sweaty and agitated all the time, okay? Is it an oxymoron, happy camper, be angry, but, but don't sin? How does that work exactly? Well, it's possible if it's understood, again, within the greater context of this psalm. Think about it this way. David, again, is a faithful follower of God, but rejected by his own A faithful follower of God, a defender of righteousness and truth, but persecuted and mocked, and for a moment even outcasted, his throne taken, usurped. 
David is a man after God's own heart, precious and chosen, who upholds the law and does what is right, and yet is betrayed and is in distress, is shamed and ridiculed and surrounded on all sides by those who chase after lies. Absalom's temporary reign is a reign of lies. David, again, does all of these things chosen by God, God's anointed, a man after God's own heart, and yet he finds himself surrounded for a moment by those who call good evil and evil good. Again, surrounded by those who want to set up for themselves rulers or teachers who will only tickle their ears, who, again, if you go back to Psalm 3, which we looked at last week, and go to verse 2, He's surrounded by those who keep insisting there is no salvation in God and instead choose to be their own gods. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does that feel familiar to any of you? Of course it does. That was David's experience, but doesn't that sound a lot like our culture as well? Doesn't that sound a lot like the world in which we live in as well. And so the question for us is, are we allowed to be angry with the direction that our world and our culture can often take? Are we allowed to be angry or agitated is really the the kind of the root word here with the attack on God's truth? Are we allowed to be bothered or again agitated by the way the world tries to run away from God? Well, I think here in this psalm, in this particular verse, and in the the book as a whole, David informs us that we are allowed towards such expression, towards such feeling, because God himself takes no pleasure in the things we just mentioned. In fact, our agitation or our discomfort or even our anger sometimes with the direction of the world and its idolatry of sin and its idolatry of humanity and again its ability to call good evil and evil good our agitation and discomfort with that is in fact the great evidence that the Holy Spirit works within us such things feel in, in, you know, they, they feel difficult for us it feels improper for us again because we are called to love the things that God loves and to become displeased by that which displeases him but the qualifier here is that such agitation is not supposed to lead us into sin the sin of bitterness or the sin of mean-spiritedness or violence or the sin of trying to play God ourselves and take matters into our own hands. And instead, if you notice here, the posture that such agitation or anger is supposed to propel us towards is also there in verse four. This posture of pondering. Of pondering or or considering or contemplating the ways of God. Pondering or considering his ultimate autonomy and providence and sovereignty. To consider or ponder that his followers, his people, have always been a people exiled. Always been aliens and strangers. Again, the feelings that we have today should make us go back to the feelings that David had and realize we're not alone. How many thousands of years ago was this written? And yet David's experience is eerily similar to how we still feel. Why? 
Because again, the people of God at all times have been an alien people. We're, we're looking at that again in our Sunday school class on Hebrews earlier this morning. The people of God have always been an alien people, a sojourning people who are misunderstood by the world, who have different appetites and values and definitions than the world. And so we're calling those moments to be agitated by, again, this uplifting of other gods, this uplifting of sin, but in that moment not to take matters into our own hands, not to be mad at people for wanting to be God and then ourselves trying to be God and enacting our own judgment upon them, right? But instead, to contemplate the ways of God, to submit ourselves wholly to his plan and to his purposes. And again, to remind ourselves, to ponder, to use that word, the faithfulness of God to all of those who have gone before and endured what we endure. Think about Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith where we're given example after example of what it's like to live in the earthly city and to sojourn for the sake of Christ. Think about those who had to endure Sodom and Gomorrah. How many chapters of Genesis did it take to get to Sodom and Gomorrah? Not many, right? They had to endure. Those who had to endure bondage in Egypt, captivity in Babylon. Again, the people of God are always an alien and persecuted people. We don't take matters into our own hands, but instead, again, we bring our agitation to God in prayer as David does. And that leads us, as he says there in verse 5, then to offer a right sacrifice. To offer a right sacrifice by putting your trust in the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? The sacrifice there is more than just David thinking of the legal requirement of a physical sacrifice. But it's the sacrifice of putting your trust in in the Lord, sacrificing your own unquenchable desire to, to be in charge, to make the world look like you want it to look like, and instead to trust that God is on the move and that God is actively working out his purposes, to trust him. The New Testament helps define it a bit more for us. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that you might grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, and here's that phrase, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Again, notice how it's a putting away, a putting away of malice and envy and hatred and slander and instead refocusing yourselves on the identity that God has given you in Christ. His plan to build up a spiritual house to set all things right, to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it as we offer the spiritual sacrifice to him of trust and praise and worship. Hebrews 13 puts it this way, for here, what a reminder for us, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. Through him then, that is Jesus, let us continually offer up Here's that phrase, a sacrifice of praise. 
Not a sacrifice of bitterness or of fear or of mistrust, but a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips to acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Notice how in all of those verses, the sacrifice for the Christian is this constant looking away from ourselves, looking away from our circumstances, and casting ourselves once more again on who God is, what he's done, and his plans for us and for the world, which will come to pass again because of the promise of the gospel and because of the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. But then finally, as the psalm closes, look at those last two verses. There are many, verse 6, there are many who say, Who will show us some good? Light up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. But you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Did you notice how far David's come in just eight verses. Notice how the same God that David is confident hears his prayer. And the same God who has established his righteousness is the same God who has set him apart and established him, preserved him in the midst again of his trial and his enemies as David considers all of those things, is now the same God who he finds his contentment in. It's amazing how much the psalmists speak of lying down and sleeping. You'll notice that over and over again. That contentment to do even such a thing like get a good night's sleep is so often grounded in where our heart is aligned. Are we trusting the one who has done all of these things already for us to now continue to be faithful to us in the moment and into the future in a way where, yes, we're going to still worry. Yes, we're still going to be anxious. But it doesn't consume us. It doesn't rob us of our sleep even. It doesn't rob us of our joy But what's happening here, if you notice, is as David begins to take inventory, and that's what we're called to do as well, as David begins to take inventory of all that God has done, as he takes inventory of who exactly God is and has been in his life, it enables him in this moment to look past his circumstances, to look past even those trials and sources of fear around him and to find contentment once again in God. Contentment that even allows him to to lie down, if you will, and sleep, it says, for you alone make me dwell in safety. Again, if you notice, so many times we define our contentment or blessing by our stuff. That's why he talks here about wine and new grain. We only think the Lord is blessing us when we have abundance in the physical matters. When we have an abundance of stuff, well, then we feel the Lord's favor. But often what happens is we have an abundance of stuff, we no longer think about God. And so here he's telling us, again, that the favor of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord... 
The trust that we can put in the Lord goes so much further beyond our present physical situation, whether we have abundance or not, whether we have enemies around us or not. But the source of our contentment is this unchangeable orientation, again, to what God has already done, to who he is and how he's shown his faithfulness time and time again, and how he has delivered his people ultimately for us as a Christian at the cross of Christ. And if we would just pause for a moment, going back to our opening you know, illustration, if we would just turn our devices off for a moment, if we would turn the headline news off for just a moment, and all of us, if we would take an inventory of God's faithfulness to us and his provision to us like David does here, that we will find that just like him, we will come to the same conclusion. And we'll realize that God is with us, that God has not abandoned us, that he has given us peace to lie down and sleep again, for he alone makes us dwell in safety Again, David makes it clear for us that it's okay in this Christian life to cry out, to admit distress, to lament the rejection of the world, to even be angry at times at its direction, but the essence of faith is to still see God at work through it all. And again, to rest. To rest in the knowledge that he and he alone is our peace and our dwelling place. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are so grateful that you answer us when we call. We're so grateful, Lord, that even when we don't know what to ask for or pray, even then you hear us. Your Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And so, Lord, again, we thank you that this psalm reminds us of your complete and total care of us. The God who hears is the God who acts, is the God who is with us still is the God who will remain faithful to the end. And so, Father, would you press that truth deep down into our hearts? Would you, again, overwhelm our doubts, overwhelm our discouragement, overwhelm even our despair with a fresh reminder of the grace and the mercy and the power and the love that have come our way in Christ? So we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.